For those of you who've just joined us, here on Digging Out, my guest is Ion Sancho. He's the former supervisor of elections of Leon County and Florida's state capital, Tallahassee. So there's a lot still to cover, Ion. The subverting the vote. Also, there's the election machinery's vulnerability to hacking to the extent that you can lay out how this looming hazard also has an impact on voter turnouts. And so that's that's another way of subverting the vote is this kind of possibility of hacking besides the fact the Supreme Court was able to hack the vote, right? Unfortunately, they were. And I think that there's no question that we need additional scrutiny to try to remove people's apprehension. We need heightened auditing. There are a number of great developments in the last decade in that direction in the election management field. There are risk-limiting audits, which are very popular in many jurisdictions. There are actually now machine-assisted audits. For example, there's a company called Clear Ballot that actually does a whole separate scanning system completely separate from your voting machine to confirm that your voting machine is correct. And so I believe that every state has to have heightened auditing. And that's separate. If if 2020 had never occurred, I would still be an advocate of heightened auditing. We need robust auditing to confirm that the voting machines are in fact correct. And in fact, in Florida, we don't do that. We just trust the electronic numbers and say, ah, that's the vote. In Florida, we don't confirm that those electric totals actually match all the paper ballots that we're required to vote on. So voting on a hand-marked paper ballot is not the be-all and end-all. We call it the gold standard. Why? Because it can be audited and verified. We need to verify all Americans' votes through an audit process. But this is made much more difficult when self-seeking politicians want to end the election on Tuesday. Getting back to the certification deadlines, you must have time after the election to verify that the totals are correct. And that is a good policy. Very few states do this. Colorado is a state that does this. California has experimented with risk limiting audits, but their 3% audit is not robust enough Tech hacking or simple error. And the dirty little secret here is not that people are hacking our elections right and left. It is that it is easy with complex voting technology to make a mistake. Voters are more threatened by a mistake in the administrative process than they are by hacking in the United States. That's my opinion. And that's not a, an active subversion of a vote, but you're, as you're saying, but I keep thinking of the election employee using some thumb drive, you know, casually plugging it into one system and there may be malware on it and plugging it into the election system. And that, there you have it, game over with a clean election result. Right, but if you vote on a paper ballot, then it's possible to do a recount If you, in fact, audit these ballots properly, you can't identify any kind of successful hack. I know this because I almost lost my job proving this in 2005 when I allowed Harry Hursty to examine the voting system. And he proved in a documentary that you've mentioned, Hacking Democracy, 
that in fact, without the election administrator even knowing it, you could actually preload the memory card and steal an election. And I was shocked by that, but not completely uh, undone because since we voted on handmarked paper ballots, all it took was an examination of the handmarked paper ballots to get the correct total. And so that's why an audit is important. If there's been a mistake or there's been an attack, auditing and examining the handmarked paper ballots, because even a spy satellite in Italy can't send signals into and change the marks on handmarked paper ballots. There you go. Analog. Uh, yeah. Right. They can't do it. They can't do it. You mark that piece of paper. There's no way an electronic impulse can change it. It's marked by you, by the voter. That is the best evidence, which is why I'm a huge supporter of using technology, which has the voters mark their ballots on hand-marked paper ballots. You can use ballot marking devices for individuals that can't have the manual dexterity or the visual acuity to do that. But hand-marked paper ballots means that you can never be hacked. You can never be hacked. And if you have a proper chain of custody with those hand-marked paper ballots, you're safe. Florida, for example, after we did the hack and showed that it was possible, they required that one individual could no longer program the voting ballots. You had to have two. And in Leon County, we had that on video. So we, I could actually watch in my office and watch the programming of my IT department of the ballots, which had multiple individuals scrutinizing the process to make sure that there was nothing untoward happening. That's the kind of scrutiny that supervisor of elections and election officials in this country engage in to ensure that the process is fair. And all of this is mostly unknown to most Americans, but to be under attack, to have our elections subverted by partisans who want to change these so they can get a particular outcome is plain and simply wrong, Claudia. So I am, as we're transitioning remedies, you are instinctively transitioning remedies with the importance of building the best possible audits with those particular measures. So there's the HR1 in the House of Representatives. There's the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. The DNC is now proposing to put in a $25 million to work on various levels, various phases of an election. That actually doesn't sound like very much money for a national sort of oversight, but where is it not just a necessary, but a sufficient remedy to see through the next elections that are midterms and then our 2024 election and by your own prescriptions at this moment for the longer term? Well, for the longer term, I would like a constitutional amendment guaranteeing that every citizen's right to vote will be counted. That's the long term. Jamie Raskin, a congressman from Maryland, made that suggestion years ago. And, I, and I'm a big supporter of that because after the 2000 election, when the Supreme Court curtailed our recount, I realized at that point that most Americans who believe they have the right to vote guaranteed you don't. Your right to vote is guaranteed so long as your state legislature allows your right to vote to be counted. 
and manifested. Our right to vote today is completely dependent upon the state, completely, 100%. Now that the Brnovich decision has been rendered, that's where we are. So the long-term provision is we need to put a guarantee of our right to vote in the United States Constitution. Okay. That's the long-term solution. The now to save us in the midterms, 2022. In, in 2022, we have to scrutinize these laws that the legislatures are passing today. Florida has not subverted the elections process the way the state of Georgia has. But I believe that legislatures are considering that. It's incredible. People are saying things, Republican congressmen are saying things that are, are silly, ridiculous, but their followers believe it. I don't know where we can go short of passing H.R. 1 and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Uh, well, but, but does the Brodovich decision, possible. though, not nullify what the, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act? I think some reviews now are that the HR1 is, is the last one standing, remedy standing with the Bronovich decision this last week. Well, and, and I don't know if the Bonta decision may render null and void elements of HR1 because you have to remember that- Which is the campaign finance decision. Yeah, that, and the dark money provisions, for example, and even anti-gerrymandering provisions. All of these, there's six votes for in Bonta that would knock out the dark money provisions and the campaign finance provisions, I believe, in HR1. The other elements may remain. But again, we're not likely to get even HR1 unless we can get rid of the filibuster, apparently. And there are a couple of members in the Senate who are very reticent, it seems, in doing that. And if I could have a conversation with them, I, I would say this is the number one priority if you care about our nation as a republic, if you care about free and fair and honest elections, we must have these protections. If we don't have these protections, we are in serious trouble because partisans are going to change the laws to favor them and place their thumb on the scale of justice that we need to be. We won't have fair elections anymore. And that is the most frightening thing I've ever witnessed in my life as an election administrator. So I'm, I am concerned. I don't know that there is an immediate remedy except to have more people understand they need to vote. We've had a century of propaganda aimed at citizens telling them that voting doesn't matter, that they're all bad. And I will tell you, that's the whole purpose of negative advertising, Claudia. Negative advertising was developed to tell people that it doesn't make any difference who you vote for. They're all crooks and don't vote. And that's a lie. And there's a reason why negative advertising is used. And that is works. to suppress the vote. Right. And we need to understand that, in fact, those people out, those students out there who are saying, I'm being killed by student debt. I need help. Well, the reason you have student debt is that Republican legislators in the 70s and 80s took away guaranteed loans, student loans that the government used to give you. I graduated from Stetson University in 1978. I got government student loans. The interest rates were 3%. I was able to afford those and pay those off. 
But because students didn't vote in the 1970s after we passed the amendment to grant the right to vote to 18 year olds, they didn't vote. Young Americans didn't vote, allowing Republican administrations whose base is private enterprise and banking and financing institutions to essentially, oh, we'll take that over and our interest rates will be far higher than 3%. And so by individuals not voting for quite frankly, individuals who would keep the loans at lower levels handled by the Department of Education, they got these high loans. It's because you didn't vote and you got saddled with what not voting caused. Administrations who were partial to giving institutions, private institutions, the ability to make high profits off of individuals who simply wanted to get the kind of education they needed that I got to get ahead in life. So, I, so again, I, voting I wanna, is what we have to do. So I want to look at, as we close, it's an unwieldy turn to turn it down here, that there are so many headwinds for election administrators with decreasing amounts of resources just to hold an election. It's incumbent now of these administrators to try to gin up participation. So with less resources to conduct a more complicated election process, that more and more resources need to be used to convince voters that their vote will be counted, that the election is legit. So that's a real squeeze and with all those headwinds there. It is, it really is. For example, we would not have been able to successfully conduct the 20 election if we did not have private individuals such as the former governor of California and others providing funds to election officials. Because what happened was the ploy in our national Congress was to deny the additional funds necessary to carry out a safe election that Republicans wouldn't pass any more additional money to state election and local election officials because they were trying to starve them and cause a problem. And now that For example, in Florida, it is illegal for any supervisor of elections to receive funds from a private entity to fund the office, because that's really in many of the urban jurisdictions and nine Republican supervisor of elections, nine counties that were Republican oriented took those funds as well, because we were starved here in Florida for the additional funds to handle the contagion for PPP for masks, for the plastic dividers to keep people safe. All that had never been in any election budget previously. So it was all additional monies necessary to make the 2020 election work. And what we're seeing all across the country are Republican legislatures saying, no, 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 no more additional money. We need the money. You are strangling our elections and ensuring that our elections are just barely struggling along unless we get additional funding. Auditing costs more money. You have to hire people, you have to train them, or you have to buy equipment and buy software to do machine auditing. And again, these are not cheap. If you want a good election, you need to pay for it. Nothing is free. And you know, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. And paying now is the best thing for our nation. Well, 
as a Cassandra that you warned us where we were headed and I really am compelled to close the interview on a pretty sad note that with the disincentives, with the institutional knowledge that's graining with election administrators around the country, with a rollback of, to 1982 by the Branovich decision of the circumstances under which voters could be accommodated in an election, I'm not, uh, I'm not feeling very good about the next two and four years of these election cycles. So I, I think we need to use this interview as one more warning for people not to let up. And I guess it's when you were talking about 1965, Ion, of what a, a banner year that was for voting rights, that every bit of that energy that led up to that April 1965 adoption of the Voting Rights Act that all of that energy must be summoned for 2022, starting yesterday. Well, we need to call out all of those politicians who are lying about voter fraud, lying about the 2020 election. If you're saying that the election was stolen in 2020, you don't deserve to be in public office. And we need to start marching. We need to start doing teach-ins again. We need to educate ourselves because an educated electorate is the bulwark against totalitarianism. We can't allow fear to be what motivates us. We need to be motivated by the promise that we have been given as an American in this nation. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice. And we need justice in the voting area more than any arena that I can think of today. But we can do that if we wake up and act. We cannot give up the strongest weapon that we have, which is our vote. They're attacking our vote. It's for a reason. They don't want us to use it. That's the vote is the step toward freedom and democracy in this nation, and it needs to be given to everyone without suppression and without the kind of tactics that I see all across the country. Ion, I really appreciate talking with someone with your depth and your range. Thank you for your time today on Digging Out. Thank you, Claudia. My guest was Ion Sancho, former supervisor of elections of Leon County in Tallahassee, sizing up the new layers atop the mountain of debris, barriers to voting, and having one's vote counted. Thanks for listening, everyone. Talk with you next week. <laughs>